Hello and welcome to the Talking Indonesia podcast. I'm Dave McCrae from the Asia Institute at the University of Melbourne and today I'll be speaking to Associate Professor Tom Popinski from Cornell University who along with Bill Little and Saiful Mojani is writing a book on how and whether Muslims' beliefs about Islam affect their political and economic behaviour. Tom, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to this. Now, the book is a case study about Indonesia, and that's led Tom to the question I'll be speaking about with him today. Uh, is Indonesia an unusual Muslim country? But before we get to that, perhaps, Tom, you could start by telling us a bit about your research and why this topic was interesting to you. Sure. So um, for the, about the past uh, decade and a half, I've been working on various issues having to do with Indonesian politics, economics, and society. Um, but this particular issue um, uh, about Indonesian Islam and understanding the ways in which Indonesian Muslims are or are not comparable to Muslims elsewhere in the world, it really stems from uh, my own personal background as a as a as a not particularly cosmopolitan American who stepped off a plane in Southeast Asia in the early 2000s and just had a lot to learn. And so it's been a learning experience for me to learn about Islam through the case of Indonesia. And because it's normally, I think, different from the way that many scholars of Islam come to the question of what Islam is and what it, uh, what it means to be a Muslim, um, I've always been drawn to this question of how is my experience or how is my understanding of Indonesian Islam different from the understanding of Islam that I would have had I started from some other part of the world. So it's really, I think, tied in... Um, uh, pretty intimately with my own experiences as someone uh, coming to Indonesia, really not knowing much about Islam at all. And so that's that's one thing. And I'd also say that um, uh, it's uh, my interest in Islam was also piqued by events that were happening when I was in graduate school. Um, and there was a lot of resources available. There were a lot of resources available in the United States to study aspects of Islam in uh, in Southeast Asia, but also elsewhere in the world. Uh, in the early to mid-2000s for reasons having to do with the U.S. invasion of Afghanistan and, and Iraq. And so it, was, it became convenient and, uh, and, um, and, and quite easy to put together resources to, to do something like this. And in the book you're writing with your colleagues, uh, you're looking at how Muslims' beliefs about Islam affect their political and economic behavior. I, I know the book isn't out yet, but are you able to share with us any preliminary findings? Sure. Um, so what we try to do in the book is to ask questions about what does it mean to talk about the differences among Muslims as in, with regards to their level of piety. Um, so our, our task is really a conceptual one first off. So we need to make an intervention into uh, the sort of sociology of religion to try to, uh, to think about what it would mean for a Muslim to be pious and what it means. And implicitly we're, we're, we're making claims about the features of one's daily life and uh, and religious beliefs and practices that would make us able to say this person A is more pious than person B. And so the, the first part of the book is about sort of laying out that conceptual problem and how we go about solving it. And then we just put that to work in various different ways. And so some of the main findings that we have associated with that are, are that Muslim, uh, pious Muslims do not seem to be more likely to vote for uh, 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 sort of Islamist or Muslim-backed political parties in Indonesia. So there's there's little link that we can discover between our measure of how pious individuals are and their vote choice. Um, we also don't find a ton of evidence that uh, more pious Indonesians approach um, Islamic or Sharia-compliant Sharia financial products any different than 
than less pious Muslims in Indonesia. And so our our finding, rather surprisingly, is a, it's a it's a null finding, right? So we we are finding that piety is a statement about an Indonesian Muslim's relationship to his or her faith uh, and uh, religious practice, and that need not have implications for his or her political beliefs or, or, or market behaviors. And there's a bunch of other ways that I can complicate that slightly, but that's the, I think that's the main takeaway finding. And was that a finding that you would have expected going into this research? Well, you know, I was torn. So I didn't, I didn't have, I, I didn't personally have strong expectations. I believe that Seifel and Bill probably had stronger, stronger beliefs and, and, you know, clear intuitions about this than I did. And I don't think that they're particularly surprised, but I have to say that for me, I, um, I had, believed in a sort of syllogistic relationship between religious belief and religious action. So it seemed to me pretty self-evident that religious people would do religious things. And what we're finding is that's not, at least that sort of simple of relationship is not, is, is not there in the data. And so that asks, that leads us to big questions about what is it, uh, uh, how should we, how do we interpret the rise of what Greg Feely has called this sort of expressive Islam or aspirational piety in Islam? Does this have implications for things we might care about? Not quite so much. No, it, it, it sounds like really fascinating research and, and something I look forward to reading in, in more detail. Uh, when, when can we expect the book to be out? Well, uh, I'm, we're still in conversations with publishers. As you might imagine, um, a book about Indonesian Islam that is highly technical can find a tough time finding the right publisher. But I think we've got, we, we have a couple of feelers out, and I'm optimistic. Um, the, the manuscript is done, and uh, if there are any listeners who want to read particular chapters, they should feel free to contact me, and I can send them away right now. Um, but I'm hoping some, uh, in the next 18 months we'll, it'll be in print. Okay, excellent. I, I hope to see it out, out soon. And you've, you've mentioned the book, A Case Study of Islam in Indonesia, and this question that you confronted personally uh, landing in Southeast Asia uh, as to, I guess, whether, whether the experience of uh, Islam... Uh, meeting with Muslims there was typical. Is this something that occurs more broadly? Is there a widespread perception that Islam in, in Indonesia is somehow unusual? Well, sure. I mean, the you never hear the word unusual. So that's a sort of pointed way that we try to, to, to really get directly to the nub of the question. Um, but and, and this is a belief among many Muslims in Indonesia and elsewhere. And uh, there's a debate in the Indonesian uh, Muslim uh, intellectual circles about Islam Nusantara and what exactly that means. Um, but this is a view um, that uh, Michael Lathan has written about a little bit in his most in his more recent work about the sort of the, the gaze from Mecca or from Cairo to Southeast Asia sort of categorizes people as 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 identifiably Muslim, but a little bit different in in other ways. Um, and so this is the common view in scholarship, and it's a common view uh, in, in the lives of Muslims in Indonesia and elsewhere. Um, but, you know, it's really hard to, to say if this is based on anything uh, real or if this is um, an expression of accumulated prejudices and biases. Is it a question of uh, geographic distance that sort of, I guess, Indonesia is far from a so-called center of Islam? Or, or what, what things do you think does, uh, what factors do you think gives rise to this perception? Well, so certainly that has something to do with it. So the 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 sheer geographic distance, you know, the, um, from Ternate to Mecca is how many thousands of miles? I don't know, but it's quite far. Um, and so that makes it, that means that um, that sort of the, the 
you know, the, the everyday lives of Muslims in, in Southeast Asia have nothing to do with Mecca unless, or with the Arab world, unless they, uh, and for hundreds of years, they had nothing to do with the Arab world unless that was something that was directly of interest to people. Um, so that's one thing. But there's, I think there's other factors at play. So there's a distinct racial politics of being Muslim. Um, and it's, a uh, it's, it's not, you know, Islam claims, you know, is predicated around the idea of, um, a, a community of believers. And so there is no place for race in that. But in, in reality, we know that, that Muslims like other, like any other humans, um, are, 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 are frequently prone to categorize people. And so the difference, there's a racialized difference, um, between, uh, Arabs and, and, and non-Arab Muslims. And so the, and that of course, isn't unique to Southeast Asia. The same thing can be said about West Africa, um, uh, and, uh, and Central Asia. And of course, these ideas are contested and they're, and, and they're fought amongst and they're debated. And I, I don't think, um, I don't think I have anything particularly sophisticated to say about it, but that I think to me seems pretty, pretty self-evident. I think I'd add is that there's a, um, there's a sort of, uh, Western, uh, uh academic, uh, construction of this uh, this idea as well um, that goes back to the earliest studies of Indonesian Islam. Um, uh, I, I don't want to uh, mispronounce the name of the the, the early Dutch scholar Snukhuronje. I believe is fairly close to how it's said, but he's an Indologist who 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 noted the differences between the Islam of Aceh and the Islam of, of the Hadramaut. And so these are in, the, in in drawing the parallels, he also drew the differences. Okay, and you mentioned uh, there's a debate within Indonesia itself as to whether Islam in Indonesia is distinct or, or typical. Uh, among those within Indonesia, who uh, Indonesian Muslims who would see Islam there as distinct, what would they see as the distinctive features? So, because this is un this debate is unfolding sort of in real time, I I I, I want to be careful uh, to preface my answer by saying that this is this is just what I've been able to uncover sort of dipping into these these questions myself and uh my guess is that, is that there's a lot a lot more sophisticated answer out there uh um from somebody who's who's either directly involved in these debates or has been following them more closely but a lot of the debate comes around this notion of the constitutive features of indonesianness that have the uh that lie in the 1945 constitution and so islam nusantara is um, is I believe a concept which recognizes that um, the placement of Islam in Southeast Asia, and particularly in the Indonesian state, cannot be separated from the multi-ethnic, multi-faith nature of the Indonesian state, and that is sort of a is a distinct political project um, that was debated, and and the outcome is is uh, is that. Um, you know things like the Jakarta Charter that involved implementing Sharia law for for uh, the followers of Islam were they were voted down or they or they did not succeed. Um, but there's a, I think so that's a sort of the, a, a political scientist's answer. But I bet you there's also um, and again I want to stress that this is not something I'm a particular expert in and this is an ongoing debate. There's something about um, I believe the nature of the way that Indonesian Islam spread to the archipelago, which may have implications uh, uh, for the way that Indonesian Muslims uh, conceptualize the relationship between an, an individual and his or her faith. Now, um, that's also a, a theme that's shown up for decades in, in scholarship uh, uh, on, in, on Islam in Southeast Asia. So the first thing you learn 
when you learn about Indonesian Islam is the platitude that Indonesian Islam uh, entered by trade rather than by conquest. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, th this is generally true. Um, but there's also a claim that, that has implications for the way that Indonesian Muslims practice. Whether or not those are, those are supported by, uh, by sort of concrete evidence or, or links over time, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the, the, an expert on that type of perspective. But it is um, an idea which I think resonates both in academic circles and in current intellectual circles in Indonesia today. Okay. And beyond uh, Indonesian Islam per se, do you think Indonesians would see their country as unusual, as quite different to other majority Muslim countries? I think if you asked um, uh, the everyday sort of man or woman on the street in Indonesia, is Indonesia comparable to other Muslim countries? The answer would be, well, it depends on what thing you're comparing. Um, so, of course, Indonesia is larger. Of course, Indonesia is in Southeast Asia. Of course, Indonesia is a democracy. These are all things that make Indonesia distinctive. But if you start getting into questions about, so is Indonesia is diverse, is that typical or atypical? Well, that's an interesting question because there's a, uh, in terms of ethnic diversity, Indonesia is not particularly more ethnically or, I'm sorry, religiously diverse than many other majority Muslim countries. And so I think that the, the, the question has to be, it, 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 it doesn't survive a, a, a sort of a, a global analysis of is Indonesia unusual or not or different or not it's people would want to, would want to know rightly across what which metric now what we've done in our book which is is we've tried to give that global answer and we've done that by looking across as many metrics and dimensions of variation that we can think of yeah so things like population size um, uh, level of economic development level of economic inequality level of uh, democracy history of democracy um, uh, literacy rates, uh, just, you know, uh, child mortality, just a whole range of different things that could be used to classify countries in particular ways. And what we've done is we've tried to compare Indonesia to the rest of the world, the Muslim world, across every single one of those dimensions. Um, and when you do that, you find that Indonesia is actually fairly typical. There are, there are dimensions uh, um, along which Indonesia is pretty abnormal. You know, population size, of course, uh, so currently a democracy, of course, this is a big difference as well. But when you look sort of averaging over history across all these dimensions, by and large, Indonesia is that, not that abnormal. And what we find is that the abnormal countries are, 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 uh, are countries that, um, that may seem abnormal to you as well. So Afghanistan and Malaysia. So Afghanistan across most uh, uh, dimensions, it has, it's poor, it's uh, worse gender rights, it's... Um, uh, less uh, less equal, more violent than most Muslim countries. In Malaysia, the opposite is true. Okay, okay. Um, and, I mean, if I were honest personally, if I thought about the question you're posing in the abstract, uh, I probably, uh, my first assumption would have been that, that Indonesia may well have been quite unusual uh, in itself. Um, so I guess, you know, when, when you've found that when you look at all these different dimensions, it actually comes out as pretty typical uh, what what do you think are the implications of that? Does that sort of tell us something about the test itself, or our perceptions of Islam or of Indonesia? What what do you think are the implications we can draw? Oh, uh, that, so one implication is that is just as you suggested, it's about ourselves, and so we we are you know humans are bound to notice the unusual things, and so when we think about Indonesia, our you know, we always want to think about the things that make Indonesia unique, and and we we just pay less attention to the things that make Indonesia typical. 
And so in that, in that sense, it's, it's just a, it's a useful exercise to, to encourage us to ground ourselves in, you know, in the everyday commonalities between Indonesia and the rest of the Muslim world. And so that's, that's one thing that comes out of it. Um, there's, other, there's also an implication sort of for whether or not it's a good idea to compare Indonesia. So our, the reason why we, we did this analysis um, is really to motivate the book. So um, we wish to have a uh, – we, we have a contribution to the study of Muslims uh, in a country that has 200 million Muslims in it. It's also a country that many scholars of the rest of the Muslim world may not think they need to learn anything about because it's just Indonesia. Well, what we want to say is um, it may be true that Indonesia is atypical across some dimensions, um, but more likely than not, Indonesia is more comparable to the countries that you care about than you think. And so we're trying to justify this, uh, our analysis, by, with reference to the, to the ways in which Indonesia is typical. And I think that this, this point does resonate with uh, with people. So when you show the sort of um, global perspective of the way that Indonesia's uh, uh, society, economy, and politics look a lot like the rest of the Muslim world, it does, I think, draw people in. And what I found in the conversations with scholars uh, of the rest of the Muslim world is that they're, they're intrigued by this. And that it, it does seem to be something that, 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 makes, uh, that makes for uh, interesting conversations. Okay. Is it a message only for scholars or is it something that you've shared with, say, Indonesian Muslims or, or Indonesians in general and, and what have their responses been? That's a great question. I, I've never tried to use this or to, I've never brought it up in conversations with Indonesian Muslims. It's sort of like a, like as a direct, as a direct statement, like you Indonesian Muslim, what do you think about this? Um, but I can tell you that the Indonesian Muslims who have responded to this finding have found it very interesting. There's a certainly a selection process going on. The type of Indonesian Muslims I tend to interact with are the type of people who'd be interested in something like this. Um, but I do think that it uh, it may have um, it may have implications for how Indonesian Muslims who are interested in thinking about the ways in which their country is or is not different or the same for the rest of the Muslim world. You know, it, it, I. I can see there being some interest there. As to what exactly the consequences or implications are, I'm not exactly sure. Sure, um, sure. I mean, if I could draw you out a bit on that, uh, and if you earlier felt you were at risk of uh, mispronouncing a name, I'm sure I'll mispronounce this one. I, I recall uh, Martin Van Brunessen uh, writing uh, a few years ago, uh, I think making the case that uh, Indonesian Muslim intellectuals had, had very little impact uh, in broader debates about Islam uh, outside of Indonesia. And uh, I think uh, we often see uh, within Indonesia uh, from scholars, even from the politicians of various countries, uh, sort of statements made about where Indonesia sits in the, in the Muslim world, what contribution it, it could make uh, intellectually, politically uh, to the broader Muslim world. Do you, do you think the sort of finding you, you have that Indonesia comes out sort of across all of these dimensions as a, as a fairly typical uh, Muslim country in, in fact has implications for uh, what contribution I Indonesia could make, uh, I guess, in a broader international sense within the Muslim world? I think it does. Um, and, and I think that's the right way to put it. So the audience for this finding is not the everyday Indonesian Muslim who lives his or her life in ways which I would, I guess, are largely, if not comparable, but at least legible to Muslims anywhere else in the Muslim world. It's it's really um, uh, those intellectuals who seek or may believe in some 
in some future uh, in some future dialogue that they could have an international presence. It's 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 it could be uh, this this finding or this result could be seen as a as a license for them to claim more than than, than they maybe have the instinct to claim on their own. That said, certainly th- these are um, these scholars don't need to li- look at my um, at my research to know the ways in which Indonesian Islam is important and relevant. Um, and I and I do think there's um, that 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 perhaps another audience to this could be non-Indonesian Muslims uh, who uh, uh, or Muslim leaders or, or ordinary folks who who look at Indonesia with a sort of the gaze towards the southeast as a sort of gentle or tropical or somehow diminished or um, or liminal version of, of what Islam can be to to sort of to encourage perhaps a different a different perspective on on where Indonesia sits with respect to the rest of the Muslim world. I mean, when I reflect on this, it's it's almost it's very similar to the way that I, as a scholar, try to make the case that Indonesia matters in the United States, where for better or for worse, it's tough to make that case. And so uh, I'm I'm forever trying to explain to to my colleagues, most of whom are very patient with me about this, but still it has to be said, uh, I don't put up a map of where China is when I when or when I talk about China, but I do put up a map where Indonesia is. I talk about Indonesia. So efforts like this do seem like a way to sort of claim a place for Indonesia, which I think is rightful uh, given its size and its, and its importance. Okay. And I mean, this is a podcast about Indonesia, so I, I haven't drawn you out on, on sort of some of the other countries you mentioned earlier, but I am intrigued as well by your finding regarding Malaysia, that uh, Malaysia being a, a, I guess, in your words, I think abnormal uh, mm-hmm. sort of uh, when compared to, to other Muslim countries. Was was that something you would have expected when you started running the numbers? Oh, uh, so I can, I can sort of post, uh, I can sort of post date this and say, oh yeah, that, that's exactly what I would have thought. I was not um, quite prepared for that. I, it could have been Albania, you know, if it, if the answer, if the outlier had turned out to be Albania or Turkey, I would have been no less surprised. Um but the fact that it's that it is Malaysia, you know, it, it does sort of make sense. Malaysia is a uh, um, the, the 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 features of these countries that we're looking at things like uh, um, uh, uh, sociodemographic statistics like child mortality, uh, literacy, um, economic equality, economic performance, level of political competition. Malaysia is it does strike me as different than the other countries in the Muslim world. Um, but I wouldn't say that I went into that thinking that that was going to be the number that was spit out. It is a sort of neat result for a scholar of Indonesia to find that Malaysia is the Malaysia is the sort of more most atypical in one direction, and Afghanistan is the most atypical in the other direction. It does give it a little bit of credence that I'm not that something ridiculous isn't happening in the data. Hmm. Um, the procedure does have a, a certain sort of face validity. It, it produces out results in those senses that do, that do seem about right. But it's not something I, I would have really thought of. Uh, or, the, or certainly not something that I had gone into the procedure looking to looking to find. Uh, Tom, it's been fascinating to talk to you. I really look forward to seeing your research in, in full detail. I'm afraid for today that's all we've got time for. Thanks a lot. Well, thanks very much. Uh, it's been a real pleasure.